0: Thank you, Brandon. I appreciate that. Um, I'm not Drew. I know that's easy to see. Um, I'm filling in for Drew today. My name's Lyle Caswell. I'm the pastor at Christ Community Presbyterian Church. Uh, We're on the same team. We just have to be in different parts of our county. Uh, That's kind of the way we look at it. Um, As our sister churches within our county, we really think about doing life together. We think about doing ministry together. And so I I play on the same team as you, just on another part of the county. Uh, Last time I was here preaching... Um, I was coveting your building, and I was honest with those remarks as I started my sermon, but since then, we have celebrated 10 years of ministry at Christ's Community, and we actually finally were able to get in our own building. So I'm not coveting that this morning, but as I look around, I'm coveting the windows. <laughs> so yeah, next time I come, I'll covet something else, but nonetheless, so I'm glad that Uh, You're here today, I know you're having your men's retreat, I know they're having a great time up there, so it really is a privilege to be here today uh, to see what the Lord is doing on this side of the county. Uh, We're going to be looking at uh, Luke, we are as well preaching through Luke, just like you, and we are rolling into the 10th chapter of Luke, very interesting portion of scripture today as we think about the Lord Jesus commanding and calling us to be sent out. And so, the words that I'm going to read shortly, just three short verses, are not simply the words of Luke, uh, though he was a, a great writer. This is God's word. So give it its full due. It does not sit beside you as if it may give advice. It definitely does not sit below you as if you pick and choose what you want. God's word sits above you, and it speaks into your life. So as you think of that, Listen to these words. Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 3. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers, "...into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves." The grass withers, the flowers fade, but this sword of our Lord. It does stand forever. Let's pray. Father, uh, very simply, I just would ask that you would be with us this morning, that we may marvel and behold the Lamb. That we may see him who was slain for us. That we may marvel at his work so that we may get after the work." But, Father, if you do not do that, our eyes will remain covered and closed, remain sleepy and slumbered into our lives that we've set up. We need you and your spirit to enliven us to the truth of what you've called us to be. Father, come do what only you can do. Continue to work in the midst of this group, this your church, your bride, that they may get after this part of the county with love and with fervor and with passion. Father, come do that. We pray through the beautiful name, the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Charles Spurgeon said, for Christians, you are either a missionary or an imposter. Well, that's tough, isn't it? It's very blunt of him to say that. But what he's speaking of is that those of us who have tasted deeply of grace, who have tasted and understood the gospel and its mercy, it just begins to flow out of us. We, we, we get to be a man or a woman on mission. It goes hand in glove. It's what it means to be regenerated and a part of the church. I don't know how you came in here today. I'm, I'm sure that you had some lovely conversations. The little greeting time was nice. Um, I'm not sure what you talked about in that time, and I'm sure many things came to mind that were quite easy for you to discuss. Uh, some of you might have came in and said, I had a great dinner with my wife last night. Let me describe the food that I have. It was wonderful, this new restaurant that we have going in Winter Haven. I don't know. Maybe you're talking about that young Texan that's blowing away the Masters tournament that all of us are going to watch later this afternoon. I don't know. Maybe some of you moms were saying, hey, for the first time, my kid went to the bathroom by themselves, which is no small thing. But what I want to say is that some of those conversations were so easy and so effortless because you were enjoying something about your life. You're enjoying something that's fallen into place this week or just something that you enjoyed. But I want to ask this. Is is the gospel ever that conversation that's flowing out? I know those are two very difficult questions to begin a sermon. But I think some of us need to be enlivened today to the reality that the appointment and the sending out of these 72 is your appointment and your sending out as well. Do you believe me? You know, we can read passages all throughout the scriptures um, that begin telling us, like Romans 10, um, how will they know unless we tell them, how will they know the gospel unless we are the ones that begin to share with them? And then it goes on to say, how beautiful are the feet of those that carry the gospel with them. In Romans 10, you know the passage, right? Or you can begin reading Matthew 28, right? As Jesus is about to check out and ascend back up into heaven, what's the last things that he begins to say to his boys? Go and make disciples. Get out of here. I've invested in you, now go invest in others. Could I not continue on with passages one right after the other? How about Genesis 15? We'll just go back to the early on, the first book, right when he's starting to pull together a people for himself with Abraham. What does he say? I'm going to bless you so that. That word is actually in there. I'm going to bless you so that you will be a blessing to the nations. Mission, being sent Being appointed for mission has always been upon God's heart, even from the very beginning. But I want to ask you this. I can rattle those three passages off, obviously in the vernacular. But do they grab you? Do you feel at all responsible when passages like that are read? Are you like many of us sitting here going, well, I pay people to do that. I've subcontracted that out to Jeff Skipper. That guy's about to go plant a church out there. So I'm going to subcontract my call to him. I pay people to do that. Isn't that what we say in the PCA? We pay people to do those things. Well, I want your heart to be enlivened together. I could have picked about ten more passages that begin to call us to the truth that we have just as they were appointed and sent, and so are we. Do you believe me? You know where this command is listed, the first two words in the passage, I don't know if you were paying close enough attention. Um, it After this was the first two words in Luke 10. After what? There's been a real shift in this book, right? The first eight or so chapters have been talking about this chosen one, this son of God. He's done miraculous miracles. He's the Lord over everything. You can even imagine storms and sickness and death and all kinds of stuff, and all of us are just marveling at his work. And then you get to Luke 9, and the book begins to shift a bit when he looks at his disciples and he says, Who do you say I am? And they make that very famous confession, right? You are the Christ of God. You are the set-apart one. You are the anointed Messiah. He says, Great. Now that you know that, let me tell you what it means to follow me. It means for you to deny yourself, to deny the selfish will that hits the ground every morning and says, I want it the way I want it, when I want it, and how I want it. To begin to deny a self-focus and self-centeredness to do what? To take up your cross and live a life of sacrifice. You die so that other people live. He's calling us, this, this is what it means to be followers of him. And you read through Luke 9, and the call doesn't get any less. It gets more and more. And right at the end, you got a group not unlike this that are listening to Jesus and probably marveling at all the words that he's saying. He says, All right, come on, let's go. And you got three guys that raise their hand. They say, Hold on, I got a couple other things I got to take care of first. You know, my, I got some sickness at the house. And Jesus is just no nonsense. And he says, Those that put their hand to the plow may never turn back may never look over their shoulder. There must be an intense focus upon the Savior, upon the Messiah and the work that he has called us to do. And after this, after saying all of that, he says, I'm going to appoint some people to send out. 72, in fact. So... It says I need to send some people out because the laborers are few or the workers are few. Why are the workers few? This is where I'm going. I'm closing up my introduction. Why are the workers few? I've come up with three ideas. I came up with many, but we can't be here all day, right? So there's three reasons that I think that the workers are few. One is is that I don't feel like you've really come to grips with the reality that there's a call upon your life, that you too have been appointed and sent. That's the first thing I'm going to look at. The second thing I'm going to look at is one of the reasons that the workers are few is we just don't see people right. We don't view people as people. That one's going to cut a little bit. And then lastly, the last thing we're going to look at is the reason that the workers are few we're not talking to folks about the gospel is because we really don't have anything fun to talk about. That one's really going to hurt too. So we're just going to ease into this thing together because the workers are few. All right, I'm going to start out with a quote that's going to really set us off on a nice tone. It's nice to preach in other people's churches, right? Um, Charles Spurgeon, a quote, I think we might have it. If you're preaching to Presbyterians about evangelism, you must quote Charles Spurgeon, right? Is it up there? Awesome. If sinners will be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. And if they will perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, at least let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let no one go there unwarned or unprayed for. Oh, the passion of that. I mean, when I read that, I was like, just just passion just drips off the paper even as you read it a man that begins to understand that his life is not his own and that he has been called on a mission. Do you feel that way? Is that passion kind of coursing through your veins? Are we still subcontracting out to Jeff? The first thing that I want you to get your head around, the first challenge that I want to make to you, is that as they were appointed and sent, so are you. This word appoint is very interesting. If you look in John fifteen 16, you'll see the same word that is used. And Jesus is talking, very famous passage, right? And he says this, he says, You didn't choose me, but I chose you, and I have appointed you to bear much fruit. Now, we're Presbyterians. We love that choosing part, don't we? We love sitting back going, he's picked us and we're awesome. But do you notice the connection that is being made there? Yes, salvation is all of grace. Absolutely. But he says, we have been saved, we have been choose. Cho- I chose you and I have appointed you. I have set you apart. I, I, have, I have pushed you out with a very specific mission. To bear much fruit, yeah, and on mission. Not only does he appoint, but he also sends. Uh, John 17, right? As the Father has sent me. How has the Father sent him? The Father has set him apart. He has appointed him, right? To go on mission from the foundations of the earth. He has appointed him. He has sent him from heaven to earth to die the death that we could not die. As the Father has sent me. What is the next phrase? So I send you. There's a connection. There's a correlation between how the Father has sent the Son how the Father has appointed the Son, and how we too, by naming the name of Jesus, you don't get part of him, you get all of him. And part of the all of him that you get is the mission. Do you know that you've been appointed? Do you live like you've been appointed, that you've been sent? Or is your life still your own? I think when we think about appointment and we think about sending, it just is so intentional, isn't it? And when you think about the Father and his care and the intentionality of sending the Son, when I begin to bring those two words into your life, you begin to get a hold of, hey, hold on a second here. Maybe there's some purpose and intentionality for my life, not unlike what Spurgeon said, but maybe there's a design for me. Aha, you're right. You're following the sermon perfectly. But in that appointment... In that design, in that intentionality, we love—we love providence, don't we? We love the Catechism questions. Providence is God's most holy and wise and powerful governing and preserving all His creatures and all their actions. We're Presbyterians. We love the Shorter Catechism, but we don't begin to interact with that and begin to realize that that same providence that governs and preserves all of our actions that providence also guides and sends and appoints us. We're not just cast out into winter haven. That providence rules and reigns over all the gifts and all the talents that you have and have been given. Your mind or your passion or your talent to sell or your talent to help people in the medical field or whatever that talent is. That's just not happenstance, you see. The Father has providentially given that to you, that talent. He has given you the bride that said yes to you. And some of us are like, really? She said yes. Yes, they did. And he has governed that. He has providentially ordered that. And your kids and where you live and where you work and where you play, all of that is not by chance. We're Calvinists. We believe in providence. But I want to ask you, do you think about your life as, t- as intentionally as he put it together? Do you think about your life where you live, where you work, and where you play is not just coming by chance. The passions that you have, the things that you love to talk about, the things that your hobbies or whatever, that's not just by chance. The Lord has providentially ordered that for you to leverage that into the most exciting and important ministry opportunities, and they're right in front of you. I want you to hear me say this. God has planted you where you live, work, and play. I'm not asking you to move to Africa, though some of y'all might say go to Nicaragua, but that's a whole other sermon. But you have been planted where you live, work, and play, and I just want you to start thinking about doing that differently. I'm not talking about radical, crazy stuff. I'm talking about just doing what you do just a little differently and thinking about it differently, thinking creatively about where you've been planted, where you live, work, and play, where you live... Where do you live? Who lives around you? There's a story behind every door in your neighborhood. Do you know that? Maybe it's time for you to do something. Maybe you're a baker. I don't know if you bake. I don't bake. I grill, but I don't bake. Maybe you're a baker. Maybe somebody new moves into the community and you just go and take cookies, not for the sake of taking cookies, but for the sake of building a relationship and say, hey, welcome to the neighborhood. We'll have to have you over sometime. Do you think like that? Where you work? You know, I don't know if you're a manager or you're working for other people or whatever. you got guys and girls all over your your workplace. Have you ever thought about just maybe one lunch a a month? Just one. Just one lunch a month. I'm not asking for much. One lunch a month that you would think about investing in someone that you do not know and begin a relationship with them. To Begin thinking about how can I push this person to Jesus? What about where you play? You know, this is the first year in ten years that I haven't coached baseball. I love baseball. I'll get back to that. But maybe just coaching a little differently, reflecting the love of God in the way that you respect the kids and handle them out there or, you know, loving the parents as they go around. But you see that as an intentional place that you've been planted to build relationships. relationship. Do you think about any of that stuff that way? Mutation stories. Where do you live? Um, there's a baptism taking place at Christ's community today. And the story that I'm going to tell you is how we got there. About eight months ago, uh, we have a, a couple in our church that are avidly involved in their public school. They're part of the PTA or whatever those parents' meetings are that help guide and lead and do all the hard work, right? They're a part of that, and guess what? There was a new couple that had come. They had just moved into the community. They struck up a conversation, said, hey, how are you? Started talking about all kinds of stuff, and guess what came up? Hey, where do you go to church? Well, we, don't, we really don't do church very well. We're new to the community? Well, hey, how about coming over for dinner? Have them over for dinner. Sooner or later, guess what? They start coming to church. Eight months later, their child has gone through Communicates class, has professed Christ. Their older daughter's professed Christ. The wife has professed Christ. We're baptizing all three today, simply because. Hey, are you new to the community? Hey, how about coming over for a dinner? Sounds simple, doesn't it? It's not. It's not rocket science. It's about building. Friends, uh, where you work. Um, later on this month, we have a couple of members that are joining. It was really cool. We have a lady that worked at a uh, at a at a crisis pregnancy center, and a gal came in and um, you know going through the crisis of it all, and she was very alone and whatnot. And so she called our church and just said, "Hey, I got this lady that I'm trying to work with up at the up at the place. Would would you guys help us out? She, she has no family that'd be willing to." to pitch in, why don't we throw her a shower or something. You know, we, we, Christ's community does party well. That's one of the things we do. And so we threw a party for this lady, and, you know, I'm up front saying, be generous, you know, bring a bunch of stuff. You know, and so we shower this lady, and so conversation begins to happen with this lady, and come to find out she doesn't go to church, doesn't really even know who Jesus is. Slowly by slowly, a relationship is being built, and someone within that shower said, you know what? I'd like to have you over for dinner. Began to build a relationship. And i will tell you what, it was hard. It wasn't an easy one. It got messy. It was difficult. Started building that relationship. Sooner or later, you know what? They've actually visited church about six months ago. They were unmarried, living together, and all kinds of mess that was going on. So you know what? They got married. We did the We did the ceremony. Everybody pitched in, and we did a a wedding on a weekend just because it needed to get done immediately. Well, They're going to join the church later in this weekend because they both profess Christ. How did it start? By a lady at work going, you know what? There's some some needs here. I bet those yahoos down there that do party pretty well, we could put those two things together, and something fun might happen. Like I said, I haven't coached baseball in 10 years. Uh, One of my sons has outgrown it. One of my sons is... He's kind of outlived his talent, so uh, <laughs> he's done. I hope he's not hearing the sermon. Um, I loved it. I'm mourning it. Every time I pass Peterson Park, I'm like, oh, a little death of me. But one of the things I was able to do, I coached for this one guy for four or five years, and, you know, we played golf. We went had hot wings for lunch and those kinds of things. He wasn't very warm to spiritual things, even though I tried um, in trying to talk to him. It, it was actually awkward and hard. Um, but you want to know what happened? This past fall, his life fell apart. You know who his wife called? Me. I was the only one that ever talked to him about Jesus. I was the only one that ever asked him about how his heart was doing or whatever. Their life finally blew up. And it wasn't because I had done anything very well. Actually, I think I had done it poorly. Actually, I don't, I don't even know if he liked me that much. But he had no one else to turn. Well I'm saying all I'm saying is where you live where you work and where you play would you just do it a little differently would you do it just a little bit more intentionally would you begin to think with me that I've been appointed and that I've been sent and I have a responsibility do you feel responsible for the people around you do you feel responsible for your family do you feel responsible for your neighbors do you feel responsible for the people that you at work or is it just ah eh, I'm doing my life. Remember that whole deny yourself, take up your cross piece? Hey. kind of speaks into there. You've been appointed and you've been sent. And I think some of you probably ought to start your repentance there. You're living in denial of that. You may have had the information here, but it's not really pumping out of here very well. And you just need to repent and just tell them, I don't want to do it. It's too hard to do it. Um, I'm not creative or I'm not going to take a risk to do it. I'm not, I refuse to put margin in my life to, in, to have another relationship. Just start, be honest. It's a lot easier to go through life honest. So I, I, I don't know what is keeping you from wanting to have those kind of relationships, but I think you start your repentance with just being honest. Secondly, I think they might go quicker. I hope so. Uh, Secondly, I think one of the reasons that the workers are fewer, the laborers are few. By the way, laborers is not the white-collar Jeff Skipper types that are handsome and winsome and can preach really well. They're normal people like me and you. Okay? I'm harping on him. I love him. But you can't subcontract mission just to your church planter. Maybe some of you need to go with him. Maybe that's the thing you need to do to get held a little bit accountable because you get desperate when you plant churches, right? you got to go out and share your faith. All right, the second reason the workers are few is that I just don't think that you see people as people. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is a really cool chapter. You should, you should take a look at it. Uh, one, of the, one, of the thing, one of the phrases in there it says, For the love of Christ compels us that there's a, there's a correlation, there's a movement within my heart of how well I've been loved. How well someone has come after me begins to enliven me. It compels, it pulls me, it drags me into the vortex and the movement that is the mission. It says, for the love of Christ compels us. And then you, you continue reading on, for one has died. Let me, just, let me just read this because I'm going to screw it all up because i got the NIV running through my head and, you know, we're Presbyterians, we've got to do ESV now. I really do like our tribe, but you've got to make fun of us every once in a while, right? Okay. Uh, for the love of Christ controls or compels, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Now listen to this. Here's a point I'm making. From now on, the, those of us who were sent, appointed, and now are on mission with him, from now on that I got a hold of the gospel, we regard no one according to the flesh. We see people differently. I, I don't look at people through my fleshly eyes anymore about how they can be useful to me how they can get me to my thing, to make me prosperous, to make me successful. I no longer look through fleshly eyes at people, how they can be useful to me or how they can get on on my train. No, Paul is making a comparison. I don't look at them through fleshly eyes anymore. I look at them differently through spiritual eyes. I look at them and I say, are they in relationship with Jesus or not? I look at them and I begin to say, there's a payment that's going to be made for them. Either they're going to make it or Jesus is going to make it on their behalf. But it's one of the two. I begin to view people differently. They begin to be humans. At the ball field again, um, I was, my boy was playing with one of my older sons, and the baseball community in Lakeland's pretty small, and it's a tight-knit group. I don't think I ever broke in, but nonetheless... I always wanted to be in the inner ring, and I didn't get in there, but nonetheless, um, my elder was. He was in, everybody respected him and loved him, and his kid was way better than mine. So I pulled him to the side, we're playing on this team, and everybody looked at this guy, you know? It's like the coaches were giving signals, but if this guy said something, then that's what the players did, right? So anyway, I, I put my arm around him, and I said, hey, do you know all these people in the crowd? Well, absolutely I do. I every one of them. He could call names and kids and... All the stuff I said. Do you know where any of them stand with Jesus? He said, "What are you talking about?" I said, "Man, you, you're one of the most related people I know up here at this park. You know everybody, and everybody knows you, and they respect you. You've got open doors. Do you know where any of these people stand with Jesus?" He looked at me and he goes, "I never really thought about it that way." So it's time to start. <laughs> it's time to start Lever You see what I'm doing? He's leveraging the relationships. He's leveraging where he was planted. He's leveraging where he was respected into an opportunity for ministry. How do you see people? When you look out these beautiful windows that I'm coveting, do you see a harvest? Jesus says, "Go, go into the harvest. It's plentiful. Do you see it as a harvest or do you just see it as a mess? Do, do, you, do you look out with intentionality that I've been sent into a harvest, or you just kind of look out and see it as a mess? When, when you begin to look at people and go, they're just going to block my agenda. They're going to suck my time and my cash. My discretionary time is so small anyway. I don't want to give it to those people. So that when you look at your neighbors, you look at your coworkers, and you look at the people around you, you just see them as, a, as an agenda blocker. You don't see them as a person, do you? Because I'm going to tell you something. When you begin to love like this and begin to live like this on mission, they are going to block your agenda. They are going to be frustrating, and it's going to be messy. I'm chasing two guys right now. I feel like literally sometimes. I'm chasing two guys trying to share Christ with them, and this, this is the ultimate, ugh, for me. You know, I'm begging them to get together. I'm begging them to get together for a lunch or golf or something. Day of, it never fails. Day of. It could be 10.30. We're going to lunch at 12. You'll get the text can't make it today, I got a hangnail or something, you know, you call him back, it's never legit, and you know what you got to do, you got to keep chasing, I was at a party on a Friday night, of a guy that I've been chasing, and we met together, and I shared Christ with him over and over and over again, he came a little bit, but he fell away, so on Easter, I wrote him, and I said, hey, I hadn't forgotten about you, this has been almost 10 months since he's visited the church, and I said, hey, I hadn't forgotten about you, Easter's here, There's a lot of hope in that day, Right? I said, hey, come to church, but at least let's go get some sushi. So guess what? I see him the Friday after Easter. and He's like coming up at the party like this. He's like, I got your email, but I didn't answer it. I said, it's no problem. It's no big deal. Let's, let's go do something. Let's go have some fun. Never even mention not coming to church. Not about him coming to a meeting. I wanted to meet Jesus. But I'm going to tell you, it's messy, it's awkward. They block your agendas. They blow them up. They presume on your calendar as if you've got nothing else better to do. And it's worth it. Maybe some of you, when you look out, you don't see a harvest that is plentiful. You just think cynical. Oh, these people, they'll never change. I was in a community group one time, probably about four or five years ago. And we started making a list of the people who would never come. They ain't never coming list, right? You never make those and so we're going around, and people are mentioning folks. And so this one gal, she pipes up, and she says, well, I'll tell you who's never going to come is my sister and her husband. They're hard. I don't think they'll ever come. So I was like, well, that's why we call it they ain't never coming list. That's why you're putting them on the list, because they ain't never coming. So guess what? We started praying for these people, and praying and praying and praying, nothing happened. i like to tell you that fire came down, but it didn't. We keep praying and praying and praying, guess what? Eight months after we began praying, we had the little cards that were tattered, they ain't never coming, and they, they came to church. And I'm the idiot in the room, right? So I run up to him and I said, I'm so glad you're here. I've been praying for you. <laughs> Things not to say, as a pastor, right? So Little did I know, and they they just did this 10th anniversary for us, and they did a video, and these two people were interviewed. It was beautiful. And so they're telling me behind the scenes, they said, the pastor came up and said he was praying for us, and we said to one another, he thinks that we're that big of sinners, and we're never going back. Guess what? They didn't. We kept praying. And about eight months later, they came back, and I did not say, I've been praying for you. I said, how about a lunch? My cynicism began to be overwhelmed by the power of the gospel, by the power of Jesus, by the power of prayer, by the power of the Holy Spirit. They've become converted. I've baptized their children. Is it worth it? It's hard. Some of you don't move out. You don't see people well because you've got lenses of self-righteousness up. I had lunch with a guy on Thursday. See, this is why you like preaching in other churches, because I can tell you all about these lunches. You know, I couldn't do this in my own church. So I'm having lunch with this guy on Thursday, and we begin talking about he is just so isolated. He's just in a dangerous spot. And I'm calling him out of his isolation and to try to get into relationships. And I, he said, well, you know, I don't know. A lot of the guys at the church or whatever, you know, I, I just, I just, you know, sometimes they might say a cuss word here. Or they might have a beer there. And I just don't know if I can be around all that stuff. And I looked at him, and I said, what is the worst sin? Your self-righteousness or their cuss word? Which one is it? He got quiet there, too. Because we begin to have this malaise over our eyes, as if we're high and above, as if we're, our sin doesn't smell and we don't begin to realize that is the harvest are the people that are messed up. It's, that's the harvest. You're not looking for the clean, pretty parts. You're looking for the messed up parts. That's what needs Jesus. But when those attitudes of self-righteousness or cynicism or agenda blocker, you know what? Those aren't people anymore. They're just tasks. They're just robots out there. They're just people that get in your way. But they're not human beings created in the image of God that will stand before their maker on that great getting up day. And everybody will. Is there hope for you that you could actually begin to see people as humans? I think so. It's right there in your text. Does he say go first or does he say pray first? He says pray. Why? Because prayer will begin to soften your heart that it's not all about you. Your life is not your own. You'll begin to confess your sins, whether they be self-righteous or cynicism or selfishness. That's under agenda blocker. And you'll begin to see just by praying that your life is not your own, that you've been appointed and sent to mission. And you'll begin to connect with whom? The Lord of the harvest. It It is his harvest. It even says that in a possessive pronoun. His harvest is in the text. He's sending you out to where he's already working. He's sending you out, not alone, but with the Holy Spirit. He's sending you out. You might not even know the words to say. You know, that's, that bothers me. When people say, well, I wouldn't know what to say if you know I had to share. I'm tired of that excuse. Get equipped. Get, stop subcontracting and stop thinking it's going to happen by osmosis. Sit down and let's learn something together so we can go share it with somebody else. You begin connecting with the Lord of the harvest. You begin to realize that it's not about you. It's about his power, his creativity. And he's doing a lot more than you think he's doing. Let me read a text that will show you that very clearly in Mark 4. I love this parable. The parable of the seed. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. Listen, he sleeps and rises night and day. And the seed sprouts and grows. Listen, he knows not how. I love that. Whether he sleeps or whether he rises, he doesn't know how it all works. Why? He's just the farmer. He's not the Lord of the harvest. The earth produces by itself first the blade and then the ear and then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe at once, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. He is the Lord of the harvest. He is, the, and listen to Presbyterians, he draws and drags and pushes. The crazy thing is, is that he's using people like me and you. That's nuts. And that's the way he wants it. We're appointed and we're sent. Lastly, quickly, what's going to make this cost doable for you? Seriously. What's going to make the cost of the mess of people worth it for you to sacrifice your time and your cash and your discretionary time to have a few intentional relationships? pointing them to Jesus, what's going to make that cost say, I will pay that? Interesting question, isn't it? I think one of the reasons that the cost is not worth it or that the workers are few is this. We don't have anything fun to talk about. It's a simple law of enjoyment. You talk about what you enjoy. I think at the core of the problem of why the workers are few is a worship problem. I really do. I think if you're beginning to where to really begin to investigate your heart and why you're not more enlivened to the mission, you read those quotes by Spurgeon and you're like, Oh man, my heart's never gonna be there. I think at the core of it is a worship problem, is one of the reasons we don't go and intentionally love others like I've been describing. I mean, because of all you gotta talk about is showing up at a meeting on Sunday, <laughs> it's no wonder you're not talking about that. I mean, who wants I mean Who wants to just show up at a meeting on Sundays? I mean, that's no fun to talk about. I mean, if all of you're talking about is like some moral paradigm that you've picked up from Jesus because he's coaching you along, and that's all you're excited about, there's no reason you're not sharing that. That's no fun. If you're a Presbyterian and you have a theological insight about the Greek, you get all excited about that. That's not exciting. There's no reason that it's not bubbling out of you, whether it's talking about the food that you ate, Jordan Spieth winning that tournament, or your kid going to the bathroom for the first time. The reason that those things are falling out of your mouth effortlessly is because you're enjoying that. It's exciting to you, and to share with another person, that's what makes it complete. You can't even hold the good stuff. You know, it's the whole C.S. Lewis thing. If something's really good, it's not good until you share it with somebody else. Have you ever been to a beautiful place without your wife or without your husband and you wanted to enjoy it, but there's a sense of you that couldn't enjoy it because they weren't there to share it with? There's a sense of glory when two things get together, to share together. And so it is with the gospel. The core of the problem is a worship problem. If all of you are talking about is moral paradigms, showing up at meetings or some theological insight that you got, there's no reason you're not having any fun. Oh, but when you begin to behold the Lamb, the whole game changes. When you begin to understand and drink deeply of the gospel, and you begin to realize that he says, Hold on a second here. I'm sending you out like lambs to a wolf. You continue reading on in Luke 10, and they come back fine, and they got glorious reports. When you begin to behold the Lamb, and you begin to realize that he was appointed and sent to the wolves, and he didn't come back, went on a cross for you. He hung and he bled and he was butchered for you. The wolves got him. You see? And they put him on that cross with trumped up charges of treason and blasphemy, the two things that we do the most. And he was punished as if he were us. And he said, I will bleed and I will die for you. Because it is the joy set before me, I will endure the cross. You're the joy when you begin to marvel at the Lamb. And you begin to realize that your salvation, your bringing brought into the family is all of grace. You didn't merit it. Not one iota of you, he looked at and said, I want that guy on the team. There was nothing about you that was attractive. It is only when he broke into your life. He drew you to himself. He made you beautiful, you see. He made you a new creation. When you begin to behold the Lamb, and you begin to understand that every single day, His long-suffering love pushes through every reason not to love you, and He keeps on loving you. He keeps on providing for you. He keeps on protecting you. He keeps on leading you. He keeps on raising your kids for you because you keep fumbling around. He keeps protecting your marriages in a way you don't even know that He's active, and He is. He is. God is sustaining you. He's governing and preserving all your actions and all your deeds. When you begin to marvel at his work, then you'll make his work your work. When was the last time you marveled? You know, just sit, private worship, sitting before the word, or coming here hungry, not just as a consumer. Don't you realize this is a staging You're coming to get excited about what Jesus has done, not for you just to consume it and that's the end of it. No, the end of it is going through those two doors right there and getting after this county that the Lord has said, this is your geography, own it. I don't know where you got caught today. I'm closing. I've said that three times, but I really am this time. I don't know where you got caught today. I mean, some of you possibly could have walked in without the knowledge that you were appointed and sent. Possibly. You need to repent, possibly, of your pride that says, My life is my own. I don't know. That'd be a great place to start. Um, maybe some of you need to be very honest with how you view people, whether they be a selfish agenda blocker that you need to repent of, or your cynicism is just eating you up, or your self righteousness, even. And it's the reason that you don't move out. Maybe you need to start your repentance there. Just be honest with who you are. Or maybe, lastly, your worship's dull you got nothing fun to talk about. And you need to begin to marvel and behold the Lamb. Repent. He's more beautiful than those couple sentences that I said. He's far more glorious to behold. But you need to confess I'm not beholding well. Wherever you got caught, guess what? He doesn't kick sinners to the curb who own it. He loves that. So as I pray, pray for yourself. Not out loud. That could be odd. But to yourself, begin to pray and confess where you need to confess. But not only that, rejoice. We celebrated the resurrection last week. There's a lot of hope for sinners like us. He makes into new creations. He enlivens us with the truth of his glory and the truth of the mission. There's hope because he's alive. So let's pray together. I wasn't sure. I was standing. I was sitting. I didn't know if it was my time or not. Um, my hope is that you had someone come in your head a neighbor, a coworker, a family member, that someone popped in your head to begin praying about, just to begin intentionally moving into their life. I hope a face came to mind that you could begin doing that and praying about. Because the benediction is a time every week to be sent out with a good word. That's what benediction is, a good word to send you out. No matter how you came in here today, you never earned the blessing, but you've been blessed to be a blessing. So all of you who have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, receive your benediction. May God himself, the God of peace, may he sanctify you through and through. May your whole body and soul and spirit be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. One who calls you, he's faithful, and he will do it. Go in peace.